This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Welcome to this episode of the AEC Engineering and Technology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping engineering professionals find technology that fits their needs. In this episode, I'll be speaking with An, the co-founder and CEO of Wilco, a startup with a mission to empower developers to reach their full potential. Some of you might recognize An from his previous appearance on episode 293 of the Engineering Career Coach podcast, where he discussed imposter syndrome. In this episode, I will talk about the transformative impact of artificial intelligence on software engineering. We also dive into the significance of coding as a tool, not merely a purpose, and discuss the importance of training everyone to become engineers in our rapidly evolving technological landscape. With that, let's jump into today's episode. Before we go on here, I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, Tensar International. Here's a message from Tensar about their award-winning software, Tensar Plus, which is available to you at no cost. Check out Tensar Plus the award-winning design software for construction professionals to design with geosynthetics and calculate their value on projects. Tensar Plus is simple to use with a powerful engineering system at its core. It leverages our decades of research and experience with soils all over the world, so you can count on your solutions working the first time, even in the most difficult conditions. Whether you're designing a crane pad or need to build a temporary road over muck, the cost, time, and carbon savings can be calculated Making comparison with alternatives simple. Specs, reports, and product data can be generated for your design. And training resources, research, and our third-party expert reviews are all provided conveniently in the software if needed. Usable both online and offline, the app is available in browser and on all major mobile platforms. Whatever you're working on, Tensar Plus is your toolbox for success. On, welcome to the show. So good to have you on. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Today's topic is going to revolve around software engineering. Could you just talk a little bit about how you got involved in the industry and, and what you're doing on a day-to-day basis? I could say that I got involved when I was about eight and I started programming in basic, which was a thing back then. And it was really cool. I really loved it as a kid and, you know, being able to create stuff and, and the feedback loop was just so quick. So I've been doing it ever since in various languages and then studied computer science in Tel Aviv University. And during college, I started working for a tech company and been doing that ever since. And that is so cool, especially like on the software side, like that rapid iteration of your ideas and that kind of feedback loop that you don't get as quickly in other engineering discipline for a variety of factors. But I always thought that was was so neat. I did do some mechanical engineering at some point, and the feedback loops are way slower. You actually have to have things manufactured to see them in action. The world goes around because of engineering and a number of other things, right? But in all, all ways, shapes, and forms, and that's what we're all about here is just 
getting the engineers, you know, the tools they need, the technology to do their jobs better and more efficiently. But let's jump into a little bit more about what you're doing today, right? So as the co-founder and CEO of Wilco, could you talk a little bit more about your startup and its mission to empower developers? So as you mentioned, our mission is to empower developers, regardless of their background or skill level, to unlock their full potential. And what do we mean by that? It's really easy to gain knowledge, but really hard to gain experience. And you go to college or you go to a boot camp, or, you know, maybe you're even taking an online course and you're studying a lot of theory. Then you get to the job. And I know that my first day on the job, I didn't know anything. I was completely surprised by <laughs> what the day looked like, because all I did before that was a simple project in school with a bunch of friends that didn't look anything like a software company, right? And it didn't actually have to withstand anything meaningful. So you come into the job and you realize that working in a team is very different than, you know, writing software with maybe a friend or two, working with actual product managers and requirements. That's something brand new for you. Maintaining a production system, definitely not something that you've done in college. And then you realize that experience is going to take you years to master. There are so many skills around code writing that no one has ever taught you. And you're kind of left on your own to acquire them. But if you acquire them on the job, it's A, very slow. You can only practice what you actually encounter. B, it's very error prone and people make catastrophic mistakes. And C, it doesn't provide equal opportunity because so much depends on the team you get to, if you even get to a team, the mentors that you have, the type of access to production that you manage to come by, et cetera, et cetera. So we thought to ourselves, pilots have a flight simulator where they can practice their actual job. Why not do the same thing for software and let people practice software the same way that pilots practice aviation? And that's how Wilco was born. In the civil engineering world, we talk about that a lot the same, right? We talked a little bit earlier about feedback loops, how software can be more iterative just based on the nature of it, but right, you're able to gain more of that experience. And we'll get into AI here in a little bit, but keeping on the human side of things, right? From being in the position of managing software teams for quite some time now, what key insights have you gained about unlocking that person or that developer's full potential? So what I quickly realized is that you have different cultures that cultivate different skills. So for example, my first ever team was pretty dysfunctional. At one point, Everyone that was, you know, from my manager all the way up to the CEO of a 2000 person branch of an international company quit. My direct manager never knew me, never heard my name, nothing because he was managing 2000 people along with me. We've never met or anything like that. So I always had to get by on my own and the software wasn't in the best shape possible. Uh, the project was long overdue and. It had a lot of bugs and that project actually involved a machine. So whenever there was a bug, you would have to restart a room sized machine that would take best case. It would take five minutes. Worst case, sometimes it would take way longer if certain parts were stuck. And because the project was somewhat dysfunctional, I actually had to deal with a lot of these things all the time. And I very quickly got a lot of experience in debugging systems, understanding failures, trying to anticipate failures so that I don't have to run into them because the last thing you want is for the machine to have to restart itself. 
And that was great. But then in retrospect, I realized that I was missing out on all the human skills or all the soft skills that I could get in a, you know, functioning team, right? I was torn between this progressing really quickly on the hard skills. And, you know, probably my first year as a software engineer, I learned more than most people learn in their first year. But then on the soft skill side, probably going in reverse compared to where I should be. My biggest takeaway was different teams foster different types of learnings and different types of skills. And you really have to balance things and make sure that if you're in one type of team that is focused on a specific set of skills, you should really try to find different ways to practice the other skills that you might still need. And as you mentioned previously, right, like it's not always the most fair kind of sequence of events, right? Because a lot of that seems to be left up to chance, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I could have like within that same company, get to a different team that was functional. And then I'd probably get ahead very quickly on the soft skill side and learn how to work with my colleagues in the most efficient way. But maybe my technical skills would be somewhat behind compared to where it was after that year. And there could have been, right, any number of iterations that your career could have went through, right? You could have thrown your career in like a simulator. There's an infinite amount of ways it could have went, right? Yeah. And that it makes it harder for you to take control and own your career, right? Because so much depends on where you get to and the path you choose. And then you get to some place and you realize after joining that it might have some problems. I mean, every place has its set of problems, right? And you realize it has a problem. So maybe those problems are holding you back in certain areas. And then you course correct and you go to a different place and that place has its own set of problems. And like you said, so much is left to chance. And I wanted to make sure that people have a way to be more proactive about the way they manage their skills and decide for themselves what are the skills they want to develop and what are the skills that they're fine leaving as is. I think where this conversation is going is going to be really interesting to answer kind of part of that question here for the audience. So AI, right, has been this huge topic of discussion in mainstream media, right? When you start hearing people that really aren't that tech savvy talking about it, you know, it's gotten to a certain point. But could you talk about why you believe AI is transforming software engineering from a profession to a skill set? It's such an important topic, and I know no one talks about AI today. It's just the two of us, right? Everyone is ignoring it. I do want to start in the distant past, and engineers started with writing machine code and gradually developed into higher and higher level of languages and higher and higher levels of abstractions. And it didn't get easier, but it did open up more opportunities. All of a sudden, we can do more advanced things, right? I mean, think about writing a web server, you know, in machine code, that's a lot of work. You're about to create a lot of bugs along the way. And there's a good chance those bugs are going to be pretty nasty because you're pretty close to the metal. All this became easier and easier. The Lego bricks came into play instead of you having to build the Lego bricks, you were using Lego bricks to build something bigger, but you still had to write code. That fundamental element has never changed. Writing code was the defining skill of software engineering. It's really interesting because, you know, when I think about it, and I, I'm definitely not a, an electrical engineer, I do have a past in mechanical engineering, but I'm not a mechanical engineer. I can't think of a specific skill 
that is so associated with discipline in the same way that writing code is associated with software engineering. But I think it's a fallacy. We've been conditioned to think that's the most important skill. That's what we're taught in college. If you study electrical engineering, you're actually studying a lot of different topics that all come together to create this well-rounded engineer. Whereas if you're studying to be a software engineer, you're most likely studying computer science. 90% of it is actually more math, which is super interesting, super important. I love computer science, but it has nothing to do with the day-to-day work. And then the remaining 10% is focused on writing code. So that has never changed. And then a few years ago, there was this promise of no code and low code systems that everyone said, great, now salespeople are going to write their systems and marketers are going to write their own systems. But very quickly, people realized that the fact that you're not using code doesn't mean you're not building a software system. And if you don't possess the other skills that software engineers need, you're going to have a really hard time. And if you're using no code to build a marketing system that you've automated, what happens when something goes wrong? You're probably going to have 10,000 records of, you know, a contact with a name Jason Parse error as, you know, in your CRM, right? Because people don't understand how systems can fail. People don't understand how to maintain an actual production system. And they sure as hell don't have a way to mimic that system or create tests around it, test environments, et cetera, et cetera. No code and low code products today, the way I see it, are marketed mostly towards developers more than any other persona, which is really interesting because it, it kind of went 180. But then... AI came along and AI said the same thing as, as no code systems. It said the promise for software engineers, let's take code away. Gen AI can write code for you. And if you go to chat GPT and you ask it to write, I don't know, a script to scrape a website, it's actually going to do a great job at it. And all of a sudden people are no longer afraid of building software because chat GPT is actually writing good code for them. But All it does is write code. It doesn't test it. It doesn't have to maintain a production system. It's actually not giving you a production system. It's giving you code that you have to figure out how to run. And if it's a one-off script, that's easy. But if it, you now have to deploy a production system somewhere and connect it to a database and all of that, you don't know how to do that. If you take code writing away and you look at the skills that software engineers need, a lot of them are very common to other types of engineering as well. Architecting, designing systems, reasoning about how they could fail, working in teams with stakeholders, product managers even. A lot of these skills are very easy for other disciplines of engineering to pick up because they're doing something similar. And gradually with time, I think it's going to expand even beyond other disciplines of engineering. And anyone can be a software engineer because they're not afraid of coding, or maybe they still are afraid of coding, but they don't have to do it anymore. So in a way, AI has leveled the playing field and democratized software engineering and giving it access to more and more people. Which is really cool because as I'm sure those in the audience can attest to, how many times is working as a civil engineer, a mechanical engineer, have you said, hey, I know there's a better way to do what I do, but right now I'm pretty much stuck with what I know in like Excel, right? Or some other piece of software. But if I knew how to, let's say, prompt AI to get me what I needed in Python, C-sharp, right? Whatever the case may be to take you to that next level. And it sounds like 
you guys are essentially democratizing that step and making it accessible to everyone. Exactly. And the cool thing is, if you look at it that way, you start to think to yourself, is software engineering still a profession? Because if I'm able to be any other profession, but still learn and pick up and, and own the skills of software engineering, maybe engineering is no longer a profession, it's a skill set. And you could be a marketer who's in charge of maintaining the marketing software systems. Therefore, you also have the software engineering skill set. Or you could be a civil engineering that's building a lot of systems for their productivity. And you're a civil engineer who's also having the, the software engineering skill set. And that's a really interesting transition for us as software engineers. And it, you know that skill that was the epicenter of everything that we're doing, it's going away. And you know it's anyone's guess as to how this plays out, but I sure as ML is very curious to see how it plays out. And I think it's a huge opportunity for us as a, as a profession. It sounds like a win-win, right? Because I don't imagine the coding portion of any software engineer's job, particularly, right? Like you're writing code, you're debugging, right? And I'm sure there'd be other things you'd want to do with your time, a couple of that you mentioned, but you guys maybe get to offload some of that, focus on the more interesting aspects of the job. But at the same time, you're able to deliver that value to your customers and then in the end, right, other engineers who can use now that skill set to further whatever they're doing in their branch of engineering. Exactly. We're always looking to go up that abstraction chain and be able to do higher level work with more leverage. And AI, it's just a huge leap on that path. You've kind of started to get on this point, but why then is it really important to train everyone as an engineer in today's technological landscape? And how does that benefit both the individuals and society as a whole? Going back to what I just said about that abstraction, it's true for any type of profession, right? You're always looking to get the leverage of a higher level of abstraction and have machines do the repetitive tasks for you, right? If you look at accountants, prior to electronic spreadsheets, they had to do a lot of manual work and then spreadsheets came along and they said, oh, this is great. And everyone thought that once the spreadsheet comes out, we won't need accountants anymore, but guess what? We need more of them because they're doing way more work and way more interesting things given that tool, right? And before that, people started using calculators and before that, abacuses or whatever. And AI is one of those turning points. It's one of those huge deals that allow you to just be way more productive in what you do. And we as software engineers, were always those magicians that come in and tailor a system for you that would make you 10x more efficient. And guess what? Now you can do it on your own. So if you're not picking up on the best way to do it, you're going to be left behind. Well, it's comforting, right, to those in the audience who may not be like a software engineer, right? You already have most of the skills you need. Like on said, outside of the coding piece and writing code, which the promise here is that AI is going to help you out with that, you have a lot of the skills that are needed to continue to be successful. It's just maybe using them in a little bit of a, a different way. Totally. And I'd like to get your take on the recent advancements you've seen, right? So you're an angel investor, former venture capitalists. What trends in the software engineering space are you seeing that have really caught your eye recently? I'm a non-practicing investor these days since starting Wilco. I'm, I'm way more focused on that than, than anything else. I do meet a lot of founders. And what I've seen in the past couple of years 
is a lot of effort on developer experience. So it used to be that we would choose the languages that we work with based on some performance characteristics or requirements or scaling requirements and things like that. And everyone is just so focused on how to make the developer experience better, thinking that better developer experience equals higher productivity and developer productivity is, is translates to a lot of productivity for any other type of profession because we build those systems that allow anyone else to be productive. So the thinking is, you know, if you look at it from a social perspective, even then any spend you put or any effort you put into developer experience comes out, you know, multiple orders of magnitude on the other side by the fact that they were more effective in building their systems. At a company level, you make your developer more productive that should equate to, I don't know, higher earnings or whatever your company is, is optimizing for. And to have the right developer experience, you need to work with languages that make them a be more productive, whatever that means, but it also means making them feel more confident in their work and being able to work better with their peers means adding more communication tools and, and, and infrastructure. So. A lot of the trends I'm seeing are software systems or software developers to make them happier, hence more productive. Do you have any personal experiences you could share where generative AIs make an impact on software engineering processes or outcomes? At Wilco, our software engineers are constantly using AI to help them write code and they've become more orchestrators than code writers which is great. They're just so much more productive. And I'm seeing this in other companies as well. If you're a software engineer and you're not using AI for the boilerplate or grunt work, then you're missing out and, and you're not as productive as you could be. We kind of say the same in the civil engineering space, right? It's like, how do you take the mundane and the tedious off the plate of these very talented individuals and let their skill sets shine. It's great to hear because I think that's just a common trend in engineering because all of our jobs have some amount of tedious or mundane tasks that just need to get done. But it sounds like you guys have a pretty good system to automate as much of that way as possible. Think about your work and, and if you had to stop using CAD systems and just plot everything on a piece of paper yourself, your pace would be way slower that it is today, right? And why would you do that? So why would you not leverage AI to make yourself more productive? And I think on a lot of it just comes down to it. It's just an education problem. It's just getting people to understand what's available, what's out there, right? Maybe removing some of these preconceived notions and just showing them what the, the technology can do for them. Totally. And, and the cool thing about AI is that unlike, you know, if we look back, like I said earlier about low code and no code systems where you the learning curve was a bit high and you sometimes had to understand how to use those systems. AI is way more, or Gen AI, the way it works today, is way more approachable. So take some time, familiarize yourself with it. Sure, there's a plethora of information on how to be the best prompt engineer out there, but getting the basics right is somewhat intuitive. Start playing around with it. I'm pretty sure you'll see results rather quickly. You like to play the drums, tinkering at home automation. How are those hobbies that you're doing outside of work complementing what you're doing in the software engineering space? 
I definitely wouldn't consider drums to be my second career. I'm a novice. I love it, but uh, I'm a novice. And one of the things about skills that you pick up at, a, I would say, an advanced age is that you develop them slower than you do. Like, a, you know, when I played guitar as a, as a teen, I got pretty far pretty quickly. But now when I started drums in a more advanced decade of my life, it's really hard to to study it as quickly as quickly as you can. I'm all about cross-functional stuff though, and musicians today actually use a lot of software as well. I don't know if people know Sonic Pi. It's a really cool project where you write software that generates music. So Sonic Pi is very similar to Ruby. It's basically a domain-specific language on top of Ruby, if I understand correctly. But the output of a Sonic Pi program is a piece of music. It's really cool to see how these, you know, intersections happen. And home automation is definitely so software related. And I specifically use a, a piece of software called Home Assistant. It's an open source project that's written in Python. I've contributed code to it. Writing and automation is actually somewhat like using a no code system. You know, it's the same thing. It's easy for anyone to do. But then if you don't think about how things can go wrong, then when they do go wrong, it causes problems. You know, all these software engineering skills need to come into play for you to understand how to build automations the right way. So home automation has a lot to do with software engineering. And, and in a way, you become the product manager of your own home, which is really cool. Drums, not as much. Like I said, that cross-discipline thinking, I think, is always fruitful in some way, even if I don't grasp it. And you have given some great examples of cross-functionality, right? And the kind of the moniker here being no matter what your background in engineering is, you are better prepared than otherwise to essentially take that skill set of coding and employ it as right, more of these generative AI tools come out and make the technology more democratized, if that makes sense. 100%. What final piece of advice would you give to whether it be software engineers or engineers of any other type, or just individuals that are looking to thrive in the field of technology? Well, my t-shirt says never stop developing, and I really believe in it. I really believe that we, as humans, always are curious and want to learn more, but definitely in engineering profession, and there is such a wide body of knowledge, and we should take advantage of it. So I read a lot of professional content I watch professional videos, listen to podcasts. I encourage everyone to think about the areas of their work that it would like to be better in and figure out the ways to learn them and just as importantly, practice them. That's what's so humbling about any field of engineering, right? Because there's always more to learn. And with recent advancements in technology, and it's exciting to think about what the next couple of years are going to hold. Being able to learn that knowledge, but then, like you said, put it into use faster and more efficiently, the prospect of that is also incredibly exciting to me. Yeah, I can't wait to see what the future holds. And it's going to be here sooner than we think, right? So, on again, thank you for joining us again today. But what's the best way for listeners to connect with you if they want to learn more about what you talked today or they just want to kind of ask me some questions about you and your background? Sure. I think Twitter is probably the best place. So I'm on Freund, O-N-F-R-E-U-N-D. Follow me on Twitter, write me a DM, and I'll do my best to respond. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time.
Please remember, you can find the show notes for this episode at aectechpodcast.com. There, you will find a summary of key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your engineering and technology endeavors.